So, let's get into it. We'll start by telling you a story. It happened to me last week. Last week was Father's Day. As you know, they've been calling for storms. I should have been a weatherman, right? You can be right about 40% of the time you still keep your, or wrong 40% of the time, still keep your job, okay? Well, they're calling for storms. They didn't happen, didn't happen, didn't happen. And finally, on Father's Day at about 8.45 or whatever, it just unleashed. And of course, I happen to be driving out in that weather. So we're driving down, coming home from my mom and dad, live up by Pettisville there. Coming home about 8.30, 8.45, and the sky just lets loose, just starts pouring. So I turn the windshield wipers on, and this is about as good as the visibility gets, right? But being a man, it's slowing down. It's an adventure, right? I love it. It's exciting. My wife does not share the same sense of adventure that I do, okay? Now, some of y'all have like those like beepers and lane assist, all that stuff in your car. I don't need that. And here's why. Because I have a little helper in the car. She, her name is Rachel, right? We're driving down. All of a sudden, it's like, <gasps> she's freaking out. And I'm like, good, until she's freaking out. It's like, that car is a quarter mile ahead of you. You almost rear-ended it. It's like, what would I do without my little helper in the car, right? It's true. She laughed here this morning, so I, I can say that. We joke about it. She does not love driving in this weather. She does not love driving in this weather because in college, she had an old boat of a car. Her and her sister were driving somewhere on the interstate, and she ended up hydroplaning and like went off the road and about got T-boned, and it was, it was a traumatic experience. So she's nervous. She gets nervous. I've come to expect it. I'm okay with that. But I've got her like clutching the armrest like we're in a bond chase over, over here to, the, to my right, and I'm driving, and it's, it's difficult to see, so it's like kind of tense. And then all of a sudden, the sky starts to like, change colors a little bit. You know that puke green that comes before stuff like, gets real nasty? Well, I see it change colors. And because the Lord built me in such a way that I don't have a filter between my brain and my mouth most days, I notice that, and I think to myself, hmm, this looks like tornado weather, except I say it out loud. <laughs> I say it out loud. So my wife, her anxiety is like spreading through our car like it's contagious. And then I speak that out and the kids like start tearing up and like, tornado? What? Like we're going to die on the way home from grandma's house. It is incredibly tense in the car. And I'll be honest with you, I never let on to this because I'm a man and men are tough, but I occasionally get scared. I do. When I see the... uh, Storm clouds come on and that puke green, I get, I get a little anxious in my heart. I do. To be honest, to this day, I, I'm still a little terrified of tornadoes. They scare me. They scare me. And here's why. When I was 10, I remember specifically having to go down in our old farmhouse dungy basement, had like the, the stone walls and was always just kind of damp down there. We had to go down there and the ceiling's like this high because apparently people were this high when they build it. I don't know. It's like real short. So we go down there and the tornado's whipping by our house and I thought we were going to die. I'm like kind of crying and I was praying like, Jesus protect us. It was a traumatic experience. Obviously I did not die because I'm still here, but it was traumatic. Then when I was 15, I went with my church to go rebuild some stuff in Van Wert. If you remember back, I don't even know, it was 15 years ago, there was like an F4 or F5 tornado that went through there and just devastated that place. So we're on our way down south there. We're on our way to the 
foundations of what used to be a house to start rebuilding that. And as we're driving, the guy that's driving kind of slows down because we look off to our left on the side of the road there, and out in the middle of the road is a red Pontiac Sunfire. And it's kind of turned up on its side. All the windows are broken out, including the windows or the, the glass on the, the sunroof. And he slows down and he starts to talk. He said, yeah, this lady, I don't know what she was doing, but she was out in the midst of the storm and the tornado picked her car up and flung it hundreds of feet through the air and sucked her out of the car. Seatbelt, it was buckled still, sucked her out of the seatbelt and through the, the cutting board sized sunroof. She did not make it. I remember seeing that and seeing the houses and the barns and trees, a swath of woods just cut through from this tornado. It was humbling. It brought a new sense of reality to Job 38.1 where it says Job was terrified when he stood in front of the whirlwind of the Lord Almighty. So we're driving. We're driving and I'm nervous because I'm scared of tornadoes. And everybody in my car was kind of right there with me. When I was in Van Wert, I was informed that several people hid in their basements. They did not make it. The lady in the red sunfire, obviously, she was trying to outrun the tornado. She did not make it. See, it's no use to try and hide or run from an F5 tornado. You're powerless. You're helpless. You are at its mercy. All you can do is pray. And if we're honest as Christians, sometimes that just doesn't really feel like that much. Am I right? Now, why am I telling you all this? Because I want you there in that emotion, that helplessness, the inevitability that you feel when an F5 tornado is heading your way and the best you can do is go into your basement and pray. Church, isn't this how most of us feel about the direction our country is heading? Whether you're on the right side of the aisle or the left side of the aisle, it doesn't matter. All of us have this sense of inevitability, this dread that we've reached the point of no return in our country. Everything's going to hell in a handbasket. You can't hide in your basement from the kind of cultural stuff that's going on. Your church isn't safe. It feels as if we can't escape the inevitable power of the secular media and its devastating effects on our culture and our children. Porn is everywhere. Everywhere. You can't watch advertisements anymore without having pornographic stuff forced upon you. It's eroding marriages. It's destroying families. Anxiety. Alcoholism. It's rampant. All of that is reaching epidemic, pandemic levels. During COVID, I read that alcohol sales increased 34% across the nation. Drug use is being legalized on all kinds of different states. Schools are teaching our children all kinds of confused and horribly incorrect things about gender and sexuality. Culture seems to be losing its mind. We can't tell up from down anymore. It seems to be gaining traction as it slides further away from God's biblical design. If we're honest, the church in America kind of feels like it's shrinking being sucked into the vortex of compromise and apathy. How can any of us or our kids survive 
the storm of secular culture. There's so much fear. There's so much fear. We long for, we look for a strong man to save us. A powerful person, maybe a politician, who will stand up for our way of lights, for our way of life, for our rights, for our freedoms. A bully, who maybe will be a bully so we don't have to be. We look to the power structures that be, we think, how can we take back control? We need to get control back. We feel the need to fight back, to set things straight. We need Christians in power positions. Maybe it's time to exert some of our power. I've heard this. People questioning. Perhaps it's time to take up arms. That's serious. Civil war. And if we're not there yet, many others have decided, well, if this thing's going the way I think it's going, I'm not going silent. We at least try to shout others down, the opposite side, on social media. If this thing's going down, I'm not going silently. This urge we feel, this desire for power and control to protect ourselves and our children, it's not a new desire. It's not new. The impatience we feel about why Jesus hasn't come back yet, about why, why does God allow the wicked to prosper still? This impatience we feel, the fear we feel, as we watch kind of the status quo of politicians, the corrupt ones, and the evil empire, they, they continue seemingly unchecked. We're frustrated, we're fearful, and none of it is new. The disciples in Jesus' day felt just like we do. As you read the Gospels, you can almost hear them sigh. If you've watched The Chosen, you can see when Jesus starts to announce he's the Messiah, the Son of God, the disciples light up. (sighs) Finally, the King is here, the Promised One. Finally, the strong man who God said he would send, who's going to deal with the Romans, who's going to deal with these problematic people, who's going to set evil things right, who's going to make the righteous prosper and deal with the wicked. (sighs) Finally, he's here. He's here. The disciples, they long for Jesus to come in power. They long for Jesus to bring the pain. The sons of thunder at one point, they call fire down from heaven because of people rejecting them. Lord, do you want us to, man, deal with them, will you? Call fire down from heaven. The disciples were eager, impatient even, for Jesus to bring the power of the kingdom. The problem was that they were thinking about power incorrectly. They were only thinking about power in the way the world thinks about power. And church, that is not the way of Jesus Christ. Do you know how the world thinks of power? Of course we do. This is our default setting. Conquest. Violence. Fear. Coercion. Manipulation. Propaganda. These are the tools of the powerful in our world. And also the prince of our world. Satan. But church, this is not the way of our King, Jesus Christ. Now hear me. Jesus did bring the power. In fact, 
I'm going to argue today that he brought the most powerful force on this earth to earth. But the power of the kingdom is different from what we expect. And if we're honest, and we need to repent of this this morning, oftentimes the power of King Jesus is not what our hearts truly desire. We desire the power of the world. The kingdom's power is different. It's secret. It's subtle. It's hidden. We long for the grandiose, but that is not God's power today. It doesn't fly in your face. It's not going to rub people's nose in it. The kingdom's power is covert rather than cataclysmic. It's not, it doesn't come with explosions. It came with a baby in a feeding trough. Because of this, if we're not careful, we might miss the kingdom's power. We might become discouraged. You see, if we look to the things that are seen, we might be filled with dread and become fearful as Christians. But we must remember, as Paul commends us, we do not look at what is seen. No, we look to the eternal realities of the unseen world, the hidden spiritual realities of God's kingdom. This is the reality. The kingdom of God is the most powerful force on planet Earth. It may have started small and seemingly insignificant, but since its inception, since the king left heaven and came in a feeding trough, the kingdom of God has not and will not stop advancing. You see, the only inevitability that any one of us, believer or unbeliever, needs to concern ourselves with is not the secular media conglomerations. It's not the evil and wicked kingdoms of this world. The only inevitability that anyone needs to be concerned with is the advancement and the coming of King Jesus. It's happening, whether you get on board or not. His kingdom, the establishment of his rule, his reign through his people over his place is coming. And ain't nothing in this world going to stop it. Jesus teaches us about the reality of this in Matthew 13. There's several parables in there I'm going to talk with you about. We're going to read two of them and then I'll elaborate on a, another two. I'll summarize them for you. Starting in Matthew 13, verse 31. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of of mustard seed, that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the other garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nest in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven or yeast that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. You ever seen a mustard seed? I thought about buying one, then I realized it'd be kind of pointless because you couldn't see it if I held it up in front of you. It's about that size, right? Incredibly tiny. Jesus says it's the smallest of all seeds. It's actually not the smallest. If you want to be like a real, I don't know, pain, then you could say, well, that's not the smallest. And it's not. But Jesus is doing what all good teachers do here. He's using what's common to his audience and then exaggerating to make a point. So in the Middle East, one of the smallest, if not the most smallest seeds that was commonly known to people was the mustard seed. And he says, 
it becomes a tree. It doesn't actually become a tree. It becomes like the giant shrub. It's interesting to note, we were talking about this in team teaching up in Wasion. We're teaching this together as, as two churches. They got a resident up there who's from Mosul, Iraq. His name's Nashwan. We were talking about this. And I asked him, I said, Nashwan, tell me about the mustard stuff. He's like, what's in the Middle East? Do you guys, he said, well, actually, farmers don't generally plant mustard. I said, well, that's curious. Why? Why would Jesus talk about mustard if they don't plant it? He's like, well, everybody knows what it is, but farmers don't generally plant it because it's incredibly pervasive. It just takes over. It's kind of like dandelions, right? Did you know that dandelions did not exist before the 1600s on North America? Don't spray your lawn. Tell me what it looks like. They're everywhere. Now imagine if a dandelion, as pervasive and invasive as it is, grew up to be a mustard plant like that. This is what is produced by this tiny seed. See, the seed may seem insignificant, small and powerless even, but it becomes one of the most powerful plants a gardener must contend against. Once it takes root, it's almost unstoppable in its spread. Jesus says it becomes a tree that provides a home or a safe place for birds of the air to rest. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like that. It's like a mustard seed. He continues He says, the power of the kingdom, it's like yeast. In this parable, a woman is said to hide. She hides it, a small amount of yeast, into three measures of flour. Now, we don't get the measures of flour thing. What is that? It's about 50 pounds. 50 pounds of flour. That's a lot of flour. That could feed my family one loaf of bread every single week for an entire year. It's a lot of flour. How much yeast do you think is required to bake bread from this amount of flour? Not much. Two ounces. Six tablespoons. Jesus' point is clear. Mustard seeds are small. Yeast is seemingly insignificant, but it only takes a little bit, and then it spreads in an unstoppable fashion. See, a little yeast It's a small beginning, but it permeates through every nook and cranny of the dough, forever altering it. Once the yeast is introduced, you can't take it out. You can't stop the effects. This is why when Jesus started teaching, he kept saying to people, hey, don't tell people. Don't keep it secret. He heals people. It's like, don't tell anyone. Don't tell. When he lets the cat out of the bag, he sows the seeds of the gospel. Even Jesus can't contain its spread. People can't help themselves but continue to talk about the love and forgiveness of Jesus. And people flock to him. Hey, 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 stop talking to people. He can't stop it. It's like yeast. It spreads. And it forever alters everything in its path. When yeast has finished its work, the results will be unmistakable. The product will provide nourishment for many, many people. This church is what the kingdom of God like. Now, just in case we get the wrong idea here about thinking about the kingdom's power and its spread, we so quickly resort to and, and fall back to conquest. Just in case we get the wrong idea, Jesus tells us a couple more parables. Earlier in chapter 13, he tells us the parable of the sower and the farmer. 
A guy, Johnny Appleseed, he's scattering seed, right? And seed is, is the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. He came to save sinners, save the lost, and set the, 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 the slaves free. It's the good news. He sows it. And in that parable, we discover that the soil represents the hearts of men. And of all the seed that is sown, 75% of it dies. It's either snatched up by the enemy, Satan and his minions. It's choked out by hardships, trial. People don't expect suffering because they've been sold a gospel that is not true of health, wealth, and prosperity. That if you come to Jesus, everything will be honky-dory and you'll never suffer. And they have no, no faith and no maturity. And so th they get hardship and trials and they leave the faith. It's choked out. Or... The seed is crowded out by worries, busyness, the pursuit of pleasure over Jesus Christ. But 25%, 25% of the seed takes root. People hear the gospel and they don't just hear it, they understand it and it takes root in their heart and God says that it multiplies and the harvest is a magnitude greater than the seed that was sown. A hundred times greater, and it spreads exponentially. Jesus says, also, the kingdom of heaven is like wheat and weeds. He tells another parable about the weeds, how the farmer spreads seed, and, and the, wheat, the wheat comes up. And there's another farmer, Satan, who's scattering seeds of deception, weeds. This weed that's referred to in that parable is this weed called darnel. It looks exactly like wheat until you're ready to harvest. You can't distinguish from the two. You can at the end, but as it's growing, they look identical. The other thing that's important to note about this weed is that its root structure is far more robust than that of wheat. So even if you can identify the weeds growing up in your wheat harvest, even if you could identify, which it's really hard to do, right? He's talking metaphorical. Who's a believer? Who's in? Who's out? Who's a part of the true church? God, sometimes it feels like people at my church, like, like they're more, more a part of the church of Satan than part of the church of Christ. What's going on here? Why don't you sift and divide? He says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. I've planted my seeds, and it's growing up, and along the wheat are the weeds. And if you can distinguish between the two, it's really hard. But even if you can, if you try and uproot the weed, the root structure is so robust that it's in danger of uprooting the wheat also. And so, the farmer waits. Waits till the harvest. This means this longing that you and I feel for things to be set right, for the wicked to get theirs, for the evil to be punished. It's not going to happen, by and large, in totality, until the return of Christ. He says at that time, there will be a sifting between the wheat and the weeds. Now, what do these parables teach us about the power of God's kingdom? The first thing it teaches us is this. On the surface, things will appear to be unchanged in our world until Jesus returns. 
Christ's kingdom will be hard to see sometimes. It will be hidden. It may even appear to be shrinking, as it kind of feels like it is in America. 75% of the seeds are choked out and killed. This means that it is entirely natural for you and I to look at the world and be frustrated and even impatient with God's seeming absence in the world. It is completely natural for you to long for Jesus to bring the kingdom in power as the disciples long for something similar. The coming of the king makes us long for that cataclysmic disruption in the social structures that be. We want things to be set right. We long for the divisions to be made clear between good and evil, righteous and wicked. But Jesus reminds us that although the kingdom is here, it is presently hidden. It's hidden. It's here, but it's here in secret, only in part. Things will continue to appear as if nothing changes. But don't you be deceived. And don't you be discouraged. Remember, we don't look to what is seen. What is seen is temporary. We look to the unseen realities of the kingdom. It may look as if nothing's changing, but don't you believe it. The second thing these parables teach us is that God's kingdom is advancing in an unstoppable manner. It's not advancing in the powerful ways of the world. Instead, it's advancing in the subtle and sacrificial ways of Jesus Christ. You see, the kingdom of God is invading and permeating the lives of believers across the globe. And not even the terrorist regimes of the world, not Iran, not China, can stop it. I read an article this week, a ministry looking at the kingdom of God expanding in Iran. Iran is a nasty place if you're a Christian. They lock you up, they threaten you, they kill you, they stone you to death. They said they amped up these threats and violence in 2004 to really just shut the door on people converting to Christ. And guess what happened? They drove the church underground, and the article said it spread like wildfire in cell groups, in house groups. They interviewed a guy, and he said, frustrated. He was frustrated. The Iranian authorities lost oversight of the church. They don't know where it is. It's secret. It's hidden. They can't track it. They can't trace it. There's, there's nothing they can do, this interviewee said, to stop the spread of the gospel. They tried and still trying, but contrary to all the accusations, to the threats, to the violence and power plays, one Iranian f- official said recently, he said, ordinary people, people you would never expect, sandwich sellers, people on the street, They're secretly talking about Jesus and converting other people right before our eyes, right under our noses. They can't stop it. And China, y'all know about China? China is a messed up government. It's communist, it's atheistic, they're trying to do life completely separate from any God. Currently, they are persecuting about 3 million Muslim people. They're Uyghurs. Type it in on Google, go read about it. They're sending them to concentration camps. They're calling them re-education camps. That is happening today. Today. In China. Listen to this. Conservative estimates. Secular studies. Not just Christians. Conservative estimates have tracked the spread of Christianity and the church in communist 
super surveillance state concentration camp, China. They said by 2030, it will be the largest Christian nation. Larger than even the United States. Not only that, the spread of the gospel is growing at such an exponential rate that by 2050, it will be a majority Christian country. That's over 500 billion people. 500 million, sorry. It's a billion people. 500 million believers. You and I, I'm concerned about China because of their power, the economics, they're taking over. They're taking over the world. That concerns me. And then I read this statistic and I think, God, look at what you're doing. You're letting them take over the world and in their midst, they are going to become a majority Christian nation. Come on, Jesus. Come on. The kingdom of God, that is yeasty, right? So yeasty. The love of God is spreading. You can't stop it. Not even the most powerful surveillance, dictator, totalitarian. You can't stop the kingdom. You can't do it. Folks, let me encourage you. I love you. I know there's a lot of fear. I'm with you. I see it. I'm concerned about where our country, but come on, look at what is unseen, not as what is seen. Look at what God is doing globally. It's amazing. Stop sounding the alarm. Car alarms are so annoying today. Why? Because they're constantly going off for no reason. I believe the Christian church in America has lost so much of its witness because all we want to do is sound the alarm. Why? For what? The kingdom of God is advancing at an exponential rate. What are we crying about? In fact, God promises. He says, the gates of hell will not stand against my kingdom. Think about that. The most formidable spiritual force of power against the kingdom of God, set and opposed to the kingdom. Jesus says, it's gates. Mm, its gates are not going to stand against what I'm going to do. What are we alarmed about? Why are we fearful? We shouldn't be the ones in fear. The kingdom of darkness should be the ones in fear. We sing the song, Tremble, right? The powers of darkness tremble at his name. Why? Because the kingdom of God is advancing in power. It's just not the power that we think of. It's the power of Jesus Christ. It's the power of his sacrificial love. This brings us to the third point. You and I can be a part of the most powerful force on planet Earth. This is the message that's most near and dear to my heart. Church, if you allow the kingdom of Christ to permeate through your life like yeast, if you be yeasty, the yeasty boys, right? It's punny. Get it? <laughs> if you allow the kingdom of God to permeate through your life, you no longer be, have to be afraid. Why? Because your life is in the hand of the king. And he gives you a new purpose for living. And this is where many folks start to feel a little guilty. Because when we talk about evangelism and living as kingdom people, everybody thinks that how we do that is you be a preacher. And not many of you are preachers, right? Most of you feel inequipped. 
You're not, you have the spirit. You feel any pow- not p- empowered to share your faith. That's not true. You are empowered, but I get it. Not many of you are preachers. And so you, you begin to feel guilty about, about not being kingdom people. You might think stuff like, well, all, all I do is turn a wrench. Pastor Levi, he preaches, but all I do is turn a wrench. All I do is deliver packages. All I do is, is farm. All I do is build stuff. I, I just prescribe medication. That's all I do. That's not kingdom. I just, I just wipe bottoms. I just do laundry. Church, think with me about yeast again. Yeast infects and invades every aspect of the dough. In dough, there is no part that is not changed and affected by the yeast. This is true of God's kingdom and his power. See, because of Jesus, his life, death, burial, and resurrection, because of the gospel, it is now possible for you to turn a wrench for the glory of God. It is now possible for you to change diapers and deliver packages and prescribe medication and do any and all work for God's glory and the advancement of his kingdom. Yes, speaking the good news is a part of it. People aren't just going to connect the dots. We need to look for opportunities to explain why we're doing the good works that we are doing. But the good works in themselves are a part of the kingdom advancement. You see, God is not upset or disappointed in you. God made you. He made you with the skills and passions that you have. And he says of everyone, you are my workmanship, my special creation. I created you, I recreated you in Jesus. Why? For good works, which I predestined beforehand that you would walk in. See, listen, church. The king came to earth and his disciples wanted Jesus to move at the speed of horses and chariots. Conquest. We kind of want that too. The king came to earth and Satan wanted him to move at the speed of miracles and magic. Look at this stone. Turn it into bread. Feed the multitudes. Snap your fingers and it will be so. Move at the speed of magic. Most of us today look at the king and we want him to move at the speed of politics and technology, instant gratification. If we suffer even a little bit, if Jesus tarries at all, well, he must not be coming. Move at the speed of politics and technology. But church, neither one of those are the speed of God. Do you know what the speed of God is? Three miles an hour. How fast his image bearers walk. Jeremy Treat points this out in his book, Seek First. He said, God could feed the world with the snap of his fingers, but he doesn't. See, the Bible says that God feeds the world. Psalm 136.25 says, The Lord gives food to every creature. But how does he do that? Rather than snapping his fingers, he chooses to involve his image bearers. God feeds people through the farmer, through the truck driver, through the grocer, the cook, and the server. As Martin Luther put it, he said, God could easily give you grain and fruit without your plowing and planting, but he does not want to do so. He wants to involve his image bearers in his kingdom work. God provides through the vocation of his people. He is milking the cow through the vocation of the milkmaid. Paul reminds us of this reality in 1 
Corinthians 12. We'll skip down to verse 29. He says, are all apostles? No, is the assumed response. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you the more excellent way. Here's the most powerful force on planet Earth. The most excellent way. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men, if I'm an amazing preacher, evangelist, if I speak of the tongues of men and and angels, if I have the prophetic powers to understand all mysteries and knowledge, if I have faith to move mountains, if I give all my money away, if I'm burned alive for my faith and martyred, if I do any of these things, but have not love, I gain nothing. I'm useless as annoying as a clanging gong or cymbal. Without love, I am nothing. Church, God's kingdom is here, and it is advancing, but it's hidden. The king has arrived, and he has shown us the most powerful force on this earth. It's not threats. It's not military might or money. No, First John tells us, there is no greater love than this, that one man laid down his life for others. You see, King Jesus came and brought the power of God, the hidden, secret, and covert power of sacrificial love. He laid down his life, not just for his friends, but for rebels, traitors, enemies. And not so they could just become servants, but so that they could become child, children of the king, sons and daughters. He poured out his life for the benefit of others. And because of that, now you and I can do likewise. Now you and I, in whatever we do, we can do it for the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom on this earth. This is the subtle, covert way of the kingdom, the most powerful force on earth. It's not a tornado. It's not the might or power of politics, governments, or empires. The most powerful force on earth is when lost sinners get found by the king and learn to live free under his rule and reign. The most powerful force on earth is when those who've been forgiven much learn to forgive others much. The most powerful force on earth is when the sons of the king learn to serve others the way they themselves have been sacrificially served by the king. The love of Christ is the most powerful, unstoppable force on earth. Not everyone is a preacher, and that's okay. But if you're in God's kingdom, you are a child of the king, and it's time we start sharing his love with others. And as we do that, ain't nothing in this world gonna stop the power of our king and his kingdom. Let's pray. Father God, may your praises ever be on our lips. You are the king. We praise you that you did not come as a conquering king, but rather you came as a servant. You came with mercy 
rather than condemnation and wrath. You came with love. You came with compassion so that lost people might enter into your kingdom. I pray, Father, that you would help us live like you in our world. That you would help us live with faith. That you would help us look to the unseen realities of the kingdom that are eternal. That you would encourage us that you got this. We need not fear. You got this and you got us. You are large and in charge. And you are loving people into your kingdom at a rate that is inevitable. Help us, Lord, love you. Help us love others with the power of the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray and for his glory. Amen.